Welcome to the Linwood Covenant Church Podcast, presented by your pastors Dave Osterkamp, Rachel Hart, and Chris Kelly. In this Lent season, we are looking at how chaos and unpredictability often creates fear in us which drives us to find some way to control our life. This desire tends to change how we view God as we seek to get what we want instead of what we really need, which is a deep, secure, and satisfying life with God in the middle of the chaos. So sit back, relax, and let's dive into the new series. All right, we're going to uh, read our scripture, which is found in Revelations 22. Oh, kids, yes, I knew I was forgetting something. Kids are invited to children's worship. There's no living stones today, as a lot of them are up north at Adventurous Christians. So living stones is not happening today, but children's worship, you're invited to go with Pastor Laura and her team. So our scripture today is going to be from Revelations 22. I didn't write down what page it is in the blue Bibles in your uh, chairs, but it's the last chapter of the Bible. So uh, turn to the last page of the Bible and you will find it. We're, at, we're starting Lent. Thank you for joining us for Ash Wednesday. We had a great turnout despite the snow and, and, uh, and Valentine's Day. And so uh, it was a good way to start Lent. We're going through this book, With, by Sky Jatani. There's copies out there if you'd like to grab one. I actually have a number of more copies in a box if we run out. So just let me know if all those get taken from, uh, from the table. And, uh, and then we're going to gather after church in some small groups. If you want to join us and haven't signed up, please feel free to just jump in. As, uh, as we'll talk about the sermon and, uh, and the book and the scriptures uh, that we discuss. Um, but we're going to read um, Revelations uh, 22, verses uh, 1 through 8. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The word of the Lord. What a beautiful picture. May it come soon. This is a picture of our late dog, uh, Kedzie. If we, yeah, isn't she sweet? She was a, a sweetheart, calm, laid back, mostly lab, pretty much the opposite of our current dog. Uh, although our current dog is, is growing, is, is, starting to, uh, is starting to mature. But this was Kedzie, and she lived to be about 14 years old. We had her for about 10 years. And so this was towards the end of her life. And um, she started to lose her senses, as a lot of uh, dogs do, as far as like hearing was tough for her, seeing was tough. Keeping track of the six Oster camps and, and where we all are was tough for her. And so Sometimes we would do it on purpose, and a lot of times it was just by happenstance where you'd come up behind her and touch her back, and she'd just jump like, whoa, where did, where did you come? Whoa, where, where are you from? And, and she always had this look of like fear, deep fear. And, and I always kind of thought it was, was interesting because Kedzie had lived in our house for 
for, for 10 years at the time. And almost all of the time, we'd been very nice to her. We've, we've never attacked her or snuck up behind her. Uh, our house had not been like the house of Pink Panther. You remember Pink Panther, that's, that show where, where Kato Fong would always attack Pink Panther in his home in order to sharpen his skills. Uh, if you haven't seen that show, if you're too young, it's a, it's a, it's a good show from back in the day. Um, we never did that to Kedzie. Our goal wasn't to sharpen her skills so she would fend off some wild animal someday. Our, our goal was always to, uh, to enjoy and love Kedzie, but yet whenever we surprised her, it seemed like she thought maybe a hungry lion was in the house about to attack her. And, 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 and that was just her existence, always had this kind of anxiousness when she was surprised. And we're the exact same way, right? Whenever somebody surprises us, the other day I was at a coffee shop and I come walking around the corner and this, this uh, young woman comes walking around the corner and we both saw each other quickly and, and in her face I saw surprise and fear. And I was like, oh. And I said, I'm sorry, like I didn't mean to surprise you. Uh, but that's, that's kind of how we live. Some of us have experienced some deep trauma and even those of us that haven't, even though almost every stranger we encounter in a surprising fashion, be that in a store or in a room where we're not expecting to see somebody, They've been nice to us. They're not out to harm us. But our instinct often is danger. Protect yourself. Somebody might be coming to attack you. And that's just kind of a part of our, our, our world. I, I wonder why. Obviously, we read the news and we've had some really terrible experiences. We know that it's possible. I haven't done a deep psychological dive into this, but I'm hypothesizing that even those of us who haven't been attacked or assaulted, we instinctively know that the world is a dangerous and chaotic place. That for the animal kingdom, sometimes a wild animal is there, and that's possible. Sometimes an intruder or a person who's out to harm us does come across our path. And so we might think we're relaxed and we're okay, but we're always kind of on edge, ready to defend ourselves ready for an attack at a, at a moment's notice, that we don't really live, or at least it's really challenging to live in peace and with our guard down. Jesus addressed this in Luke 13. If you have a Bible and want to turn to Luke chapter 13, Jesus, uh, Jesus is addressing a few different scenarios. So the Israel people were living in an occupied country. They had the Romans who were over them, and in Romans 13, it, Jesus is talking about a situation that the people he was talking about knew. Jesus spent almost all of his time in Galilee, which is way north of Jerusalem. It's by the Sea of Galilee. And so it's quite a ways from Jerusalem to the north. And almost all of his time was spent in this rural area next to this beautiful lake. And somewhere in Galilee, Pilate, who was, who was in charge of this area, um, executed a number of Galileans. Um, and we don't exactly know why. They might have been protesting something Rome was doing, but he had the power to just do that. And so this was the word on the street. Like, everybody knew this happened. It was really terrible. It was unjust. It was not fair. And Jesus says, well, those Galileans who Jesus, who Pilate executed, why? Did they sin more than other people? And then Jesus references a tower there was a tower. We build towers. We build structures. And a tower had collapsed and killed 18 people. 18 people tragically died one Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever day it was. And Jesus says, well, why? Were those people 
Were those people more sinful than the other people that didn't die that day? And Jesus answers it quite clearly in Luke 13, 2. Um, it says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners because they suffered this way? And Jesus says, uh, I guess not in 13, 2, but he says it in 13, 5. I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. He goes through it twice in Luke 13, and he says both times, no, the Galileans were not worse sinners, and the people that were in the tower were not worse sinners. That's not why the tower fell, and that's not why Pilate struck. Jesus doesn't tell us why. We all kind of wish he would. It seems he just kind of leaves it there as this world is broken. Sometimes things happen. Don't read too much into it. Just make sure you're good at repenting because this is all that God really wants from you. He wants you, he, God wants you to come to him and to seek after him for forgiveness in life. But let's stop though as we, as we look at this. Are we supposed to just be okay that towers fall on people sometimes? In our own country, we've dealt with that real tragedy a number of years ago. The problem is, for me and for you, is that towers do fall. And sometimes they fall on people that we really, really love. And is the Bible saying that we're just supposed to be okay with that? That's a, that's a difficult question. The truth is, most of us aren't okay with that. It's a deep fear of ours. We've all gotten that phone call that just punches us in the gut, that we know could kind of happen anytime, any day, that we're vulnerable, that we can hear the news that a tower might fall. And the truth is, through the internet and all the technology that we have, we hear about these tragedies happening to other people all the time, maybe more often than is even good for us, but we hear about these all the time. And we know that sometime it could be somebody that we know and somebody that we love. We imagine it. And Jesus, Jesus doesn't really say why. I would guess, this is my guess, if, if Jesus was to say why. He might say, well, you know who built the tower? It was Caleb. I don't know, I'm just making up a guy. Caleb, he's a terrible architect. He built the tower really foolishly. And I can't believe you all let him build the tower. But he, he built it so that gravity was going to win one day. And guess what? It did. And Jesus, Jesus, that would be my guess. He's like, this world, you know gravity is a thing. And you better be really careful how you build towers. Uh, Jesus doesn't give any grand scheme that, yeah, those people were sinful. So God had that tower to fall so that it was justice. That would make more sense to us. It might, it might leave us in a little better spot. Jesus instead says some pretty radical things. He says, you all live in a world where a person like Pilate can do something just because he has power and it's awful. You all live in a world where structures can collapse and fall, whether it's a windstorm or a poor architect or whatever it is. You live in an uncertain and chaotic world. And guess what? In the midst of that, it's possible to live in peace. In the midst of that, it's possible to live without fear. Now, for me, that's, I think we have to throw up our hands a little bit and say, wow, how? Jesus, though, has an expectation that we do that. So we're going to talk about how during Lent, and we're not going to pretend that it's easy. We're not going to pretend that we're going to be able to get it right all the time. But I think we have to wrap our minds around that that is Jesus' expectation. So let's just look at some scriptures. Matthew 6, 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, 
for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Just leave it there for a second, Jeremiah. I mean, that's a huge statement. Now remember who Jesus is telling this to. Jesus is living in an occupied country where Pilate reigns, who will crucify him, who killed the Galileans. I've never lived in an occupied country, thanks be to God. But if you do, you're, you're not very far from a slave. You don't have much power. There's not a lawyer that you can go to. You're under the mercies of whoever is occupying your country. And Jesus is saying this to us it's in, in, in our, our place where we live, which is such a, a great place of freedom and bounty and lawyers and police and all of these things that, that can help us, um, he was saying this to people in Galilee who just had some of their people murdered by Pilate. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Jesus has some high expectations. Matthew 10, 28, if you read Matthew 6, he goes on to expound on that. He says this, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He said, oh, if people, all they can do is kill you or the ones you love, don't be afraid of them. Be afraid of the one or fear the one who has the power over death. Now, Jesus would go on to say that come to me. I have destroyed death. I have life. I am the bread of life. I am the water of life. I have good things for you. So come to me. Don't be separate from me, but don't fear the one that all they can do is end your earthly life because there's so much more beyond that. Come to the one who has conquered death. In John 14, 27, Jesus says, uh, Jesus says this, Jeremiah, you got that next one. There you go. Peace I live with you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Now, we could go on and on with these verses and we could also go on and on with what the gospel writers would write. 1 John 4.18, Isaiah 41.10, 2 Timothy 17, Psalms 23:4, Romans 8:38, Hebrews 13:6. All of these are, are, are exhortations to say, do not fear, do not be afraid. Yes, the world is chaotic and uncertain, but do not let it shake you. Do you remember the, the no fear window stickers and t-shirts? I think, yeah, remember these? These were, I think, popular in the 90s. They were on a lot of pickups and stuff. And uh, and, and they were all over the place. They were on T-shirts. Like, they really took the, the country by storm. And I always thought that this should be a Christian thing, right? This should be a Christian slogan. It wasn't. In my interpretation of it, it was kind of for the, the rebellious young people to be like, I'm living life fast and hard, and I'm not fearing nothing. Uh, and, and I was like, that was kind of the, the genre that it seemed like it took, took flight with. But Christians should, this should be a Christian thing. No fear. No fear. I, have no, I do not live in fear. Uh, I follow the one who has conquered death, sin, and the devil. I have no fear. If all you can do is kill me, I am not afraid of you because that, that isn't the worst news for me. It's actually pretty good news. And so I have no, I have no fear. But, but it wasn't necessarily a Christian symbol, but we could maybe claim it. We could buy these stickers and put them on the back of our trucks and our cars and say, no, this is, this is how we live. Um, I think that's what Jesus would say. The world wants to make you afraid. The world wants to control you with fear. It takes a lot of discipline and a lot of 
pursuing of Christ to live in a place where nobody has that power over you. You cannot make me afraid. Go ahead and try, but you cannot make me afraid. As we go through this book with, as we think about discipleship, I would, I would, I would think the only way you can live life that way is if you are walking closely and deeply with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. If your relationship is so solid that you can be in a boat that's, the storm is waging and say, nope, I'm not afraid because Jesus is in the boat. I'm good. And we're not going to all live there every day. The world is such a chaotic place. We're going to get pulled into fear at times. But the more we pursue Christ and the more we live with him and the mark of a mature Christian, I think, is one who is not afraid. Jesus has this this passage in Matthew where he's describing the, the temple being taken down and, and, and the world being really chaotic. And he said, my followers will lift up their heads. That scene is a scene where people are assuming the fetal position and protection. And Jesus said, no, my people will lift up their heads. They will live in confidence. And so the world wants to make you afraid. Be afraid of what other nations are up to. No, no fear. Be afraid of who is, who is our elected officials. We have an election year. They're going to try to make us afraid. Be afraid of, of who gets elected. Nope, no fear. Be afraid that you might run out of money when you're older. Nope, not afraid of that. No fear. My God provides my daily bread. Be afraid of those who are, be afraid that you're not going to be able to provide for your family. Nope, my God has cattle on a thousand hills. I'll be able to provide for my family. I'm not going to live in that fear. Be afraid of what might happen to your children. Nope, God loves my children. God's pursuing my children. Not going to be afraid of that. Be afraid of dying. Nope, God's conquered death. I can, go, I can go and approach death without fear. Be afraid of people you love dying. Nope, no fear. God says dying is, is much like sleep, that there is a new heaven and a new earth. Nope, not going to be afraid of that. That's super easy for me to stand up here and say with my mouth, Living it on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, for me, super challenging. Super challenging. Super hard. But I think, I mean, Jesus seems that's his expectation, and that's our challenge. I think it's actually our greatest way to be a witness in a world that's so full of anxiousness and anger and fear. To be a calm, confident, peaceful presence who trusts in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords for the things we say we pray for. People will wonder, why are you like that? And we can tell them, Jesus, Jesus is why I am like this, because I walk closely with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's a great test of faith. Ironically, I love Mike Zimmer, the former Vikings football coach's definition of, of faith. He said it once on a radio station, and I never forgot it. He said, faith is belief without proof. Yeah, yeah, coach, that's right. Faith is belief without proof. But, yeah. What happens after death? I haven't been there. You haven't been there. Jesus tells us we have to believe. What happens to my, my kids when they're out and about and doing their thing? I don't know, but I have faith. I don't have any proof that it's going to be okay, but I know that ultimately it will be. That when people I love walk through really hard and dark times, God has said, I am there with them. I will be with them. They will not go through it alone. I have confidence that that is true. Sky Jatani in his book, With, says, Fear and suffering are the universal human experience, and every religion is an attempt to overcome this condition. That fear and suffering are all around us, and we all experience it, and every religion is an attempt to overcome this condition. 
Life is so seemingly out of control that we're not content to just ride in the passenger seat and trust Jesus with the wheel of our life. And so all the religions are formed to kind of control that. Ours is not. But when we get our religion wrong, that's what it becomes. That's what Christianity becomes when we get it wrong. And so in the book, what we're going to go through is that the Sky Jitani would say that these four ways kind of sum up how we get it wrong. And if you're like me and as you read it, it gets confusing which one is which. So we're gonna, we're gonna try, there's some overlap. These are, these are just four general ways. One is, is that we live over God and we try to figure out how God set up the world and how does it work so then we can have some control to use it to our advantage. We live from God and that we want God to give us things. We, our main question is, what can you give me? We live for God, that we think if we do enough things for God, it will give us significance and it will give us protection. What can I do? And we live under God. God, 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 God is an angry God, is often our picture in this stance, and that if we obey God and we follow the rules well enough, then we will be blessed and we'll, we'll be able to control our surroundings. We'll be free from some, from some, from some suffering. So over God, from God, for God under God. We're going we're gonna to look at each of these, and we're going to look at what God really wants from us, which is to live with God in a close relationship with him. Leave these up here for a second. In, in Luke 13, and in a lot of Jesus' culture, he was dealing with people that viewed life under God. It would have made a lot of sense to them to say, yeah, you know why that tower fell? Those 18 people they were living terrible lives. They had some secret sins that were out of control. And, and, and they, they had been rebelling against God for a long time. And so it was, a, it was a just judgment. That's what the people wanted to believe. And it would have made the chaos of the world make some sense. Oh, okay, that makes sense. That's kind of, that's their bad then. That's their fault. At some point, God's going to be just. Jesus said, no, if you think this is how it works, that if you live a righteous enough life, then Nothing terrible is going to happen to you. That's wrong. He, he, threw that, he threw that out. Jesus says, that's not why it fell. Jesus says, yeah, this world is unpredictable, and death looms over the world. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So we're going to finish with a little bit of what we're supposed to do as we dive into this in these next weeks. It's not necessarily great news. We want to be, and some preachers will preach, well, if you give enough money to God, your life will go great. Or if you obey all the rules really well, your life will go great. Or if you do this or do that, then you'll have some control and your kids and everybody else will follow Jesus and have an awesome life. Jesus doesn't have that news for us. I wish I could preach that, but as I read the Bible, that's not what it says. Jesus says this, death is a defeated enemy. Life on this earth is short and unpredictable. But I have come to defeat death and to provide a new heaven and a new earth like we read in Revelations 22 where everything is right. I have come to make it possible for you to be with me. That's always been God's goal. From Genesis 1, then the people rejected that and there was separation. In John 1, Jesus says, I have come to dwell with you, to tent out with you. And, and Jesus says, my goal is Revelations 22. I want to read it one more time and just, just picture this. Try to picture yourself there. What are you smelling? What are you seeing? What are you feeling when you're, when you're in this place? 
Then the angel showed me the river of the waters of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city, right down the middle of this great, beautiful, clean city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God, the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city. And his got to read it up here. Sorry. <laughs> no, the throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will see him. They will see his face, and on his name, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. That beautiful picture we keep in front of us, that one day all the chaos and suffering of the world will be done. But the Bible says that we do not have to wait until the next life to be with God. Jesus says, I have come to make it possible for you to be with me right now. And that is what I want. Let's start being with each other right now. That's not just for after death. It's for before death. In John 15, we see these, these great words. That, 15 verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain, stay with me in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in me, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Now pause it there for a second, Caleb, back to verse 10. As we think about under God and for God and from God, there's parts of all of those that are true, but the problem is, is when it becomes our way to control God, our way to mainly view God. So here it says, Keep my commands. It's going to tell you, though, what the commands are. Verse 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be, may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. No greater love has no one, has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. And the whole section ends with verse 17. This is my command. Love each other. Rachel preached last week a great sermon on, on Romans 12, what this means. This is what you do. Paul says, this is how you love each other in Romans 12. Jesus sums it up this way. Do this. Love each other. This is, this is my command because I have great joy when you're with me and I am with you. The big question is this that I want to finish with. Do we desire God or do we just desire his supernatural help to get through this chaotic life? Do we desire God or do we just desire his supernatural help to get through life? That's a big question. Another question that's big. What's the best thing about heaven for you? What's the best thing about heaven? Is Jesus the best thing about heaven? Because that's the correct answer, I think. For me, it all, that hasn't always been the case. I got saved, really, because the best thing about heaven was it was better than hell. So that, that's kind of how I started. And I go, okay, well, heaven's better than hell, so I'll choose that. For some, we want to go to heaven because we want to be reunited with people we love. Not a wrong answer, but I think we're getting it wrong if that's our best answer. What Jesus wants us, he wants us now and in heaven to long and desire to be with him. Just so we're all clear, Jesus' greatest desire is to be 
with you. The question we're going to be asking is, are you and I, are we okay being okay that Jesus is not going to save you from trials and difficulties? He's not. He's promised that he's not. Are you okay that come what may, nothing will separate you from the love of God? If nothing can separate you from the love of God, then we have nothing to fear. I believe that's true. If nothing can separate me from the love of God, I have nothing to fear. But that doesn't mean I'm not going to face some wild animals and some chaos and some suffering that's going to tempt me like all get out to fear. Are you okay being like Jesus? I'm going to end with John 16, 31 to 33. Jesus says this. Do you now believe, Jesus replied, the time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered. So this is being said at the end of John's gospel. Jesus is about to go to the cross. He said, he's saying to his disciples, you're all going to be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. You, my friends, you're going to desert me. I know that. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. Jesus was living this. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Everyone might leave me. The world might crucify me. But Jesus says, I'm good because the Father is with me. Sometimes, as you look at the Bible, you wish you could say, oh, follow Jesus, and life is just going to be a bed of roses. And pastors will preach that, but it's just not true. The truth is, life's going to be hard. But if you pursue Christ with all that you are, you can enter into those hard times, and you can be like Jesus and say, yeah, it's me and Jesus, but I'm good because Jesus will not ever leave me or forsake me. Let's pray together. God, for me as I read this and preach it, it's, it's somber news. At, uh, at times I wish that we could be promised that if we do things right, the world will be perfect. Um, but each person in here, we all have our own stories. We can be tempted to believe that, but we know it isn't true. But you say that there is good news, that you will never leave us or forsake us, and that one day the world will be made right. That one day, Revelations 22 will be our reality. Oh, we look forward to that day. And God, you tell us that even in the midst of this chaotic and unpredictable life, that you can be in us and with us and close by us and that you will never leave us. And that is good news. May we cling tightly to that news. And above all else, may we desire to know you deeply. May we, may we make room for you in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope today's message inspired you to dig deeper into your own relationship with Christ and apply His words to your world. If you like today's message, feel free to check out Linwood Covenant's other podcasts, including past sermons. If you're looking for something to binge beginning to end, check out First Word, our first podcast series that guides listeners through the book of Mark. You can find all of these wherever your podcasts are available. You're also welcome to join us for our full worship service, which streams on YouTube every Sunday morning at 9.30 Central Time. We'll see you next week. And remember, come what may, nothing will separate you from the love of Christ.